This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, guys and gals? Asher Tolliver back with another episode of the Dive Bomb Squadcast. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to talk Waterfowl 101 and some of the most common questions and concerns we come across. I am joined by two guys that I believe will be perfect for this, both very experienced waterfowlers. Uh, they've both been great contributors to our Facebook group. These two are pretty straightforward. They're they're about as straightforward as you can possibly be, and that's exactly what I want for this conversation. So without further delay, I'm joined by Mr. Rusty Heron and Mr. Brett Hendricks. Guys, thanks for joining me. How's everything going? Great, great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to be here. All right. So Rusty, quickly, you're you're joining us from LaSalle, Ontario, and Brett. You're from Chicago, is that correct? Yeah, just outside of Chicago, in okay. the uh, little bit northwest of the city. All right. Now, how how long have you guys known each other? I rusty what fifteen twenty years, maybe at, at, at the very latest, the year two thousand. Yeah, so probably twenty years. Met in the calling contest circuit slash, you know, kind of heyday, I guess when. There was calling camps, and some guys blew browns, and some guys blew foils. Man, I met Rusty back then. Okay. Now, briefly, before we get into it, if you guys would, can can you give us the Cliff Notes version of your waterfowl backgrounds? Um, Brett, we'll start with you. Yeah, I started hunting uh, when I was about 12 or 13. My dad would go down to southern Illinois in the heydays of the Southern Illinois club hunting, the 70s, the 80s, and even the early 90s, when they would get 100,000, 200,000, even 300,000 geese sometimes at uh, down at Union County and down at Horseshoe Lake. And they, um, my dad would go down there one trip in November, or when they'd open right around Thanksgiving, and one trip in January. And once I was a little kid and old enough to go, he started dragging me along. So killed my first goose when I was 13, would go down there with my dad, hunt six, seven days a year up till college. And then when I got out of college, um, graduated from Purdue, you know, really started and had my own place, and my own money and own, you know, wherewithal to do things, started hunting a lot more around the Northern Illinois area. So um, and then that's morphed into, you know, me and my buddies have different leases up here, you know, trips to Canada, trips, Kansas, Missouri, things like that, um, you know, in the hunting, you know, on a low year, 40, 45 days and on a, you know, good year with like get every trip in 50, 60 days a year. So. And you've got, you've got a bit of a contest calling background. When did, when did you get into that? What, what, what made you want to go that route and, and dabble in that? Um, when I got out of college, I was guiding at a place called Porter's Outdoors and the owner, Matt Porter was a pretty good contest caller. He won, uh, what was the, he won the Avery, didn't he? Rusty, the Avery international and had come in the top five or 10 at the worlds a couple of times. So if you'd go hunting with him, it was kind of a, you know, you thought you were good and then you'd get in a pit with, with Matt Porter and you're like, Oh, holy cow. So that's how it's supposed to sound. And and from there, it just morphed into, you know, calling more and wanting to be better at it. And, 
you know, knowing him and, and some of the people he knew, having him kind of as a mentor to, to help with my calling kind of um, escalated me into contest calling. Gotcha. All right, Rusty. A uh, little, little quick background on you, please. So I, I grew up and my father had an outdoor store here in Windsor, Ontario. Um, and hunting and fishing, it's basically all I ever knew as a kid. I mean, I played kids sports and all that, but you know, my father also worked a full-time uh, factory job on midnight shift and I could come home from grade school and I'd call the local park and Hey, what blinds are open? And you know, if any of the good ones were open, I'd go wake my dad up and I naturally, I wouldn't go to school that afternoon. We'd go hunting. Uh, so it's just been a natural progression for me. I've always been around it. Uh, I can tell you the very first Christmas present I can ever remember asking for and receiving was I wanted a duck and goose call. And I got a Haydell DR85 and H81 call. And, you know, it's kind of been rolling ever since, I guess you would say. The contest calling for me, I, I just wanted to become a better hunter. And, you know, sitting around and blowing a call for a couple hours on end at the time when I was younger, it was just a, a normal thing for me to do. And I'm sure you saw with your baseball career that the better athlete, the better ball players you put yourself around, the better you become. And so sure. traveling to all the contests just put me around guys that had more talent than me. And it was a, a driving force to make me want to get better. It made me a much better caller, obviously. Definitely made me a better hunter because of all the friendships I made and the places I was able to go hunt with different guys with different skill sets. And uh, it was really a fantastic time. Awesome. Can you tell us, um, can you tell us a little bit about hearing game calls as far as the, the established, um, where it's come from the background, a little bit about that. So I started it in 2016, but it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. I just never wanted to come in and try and step on any toes in the industry. Um, it's not my, uh, my sole purpose in life, I guess you would say, to try and sell a million goose calls. I, I just like doing it. It's it's my fun, my freedom. Um, and it, it started out with buying a lathe and saying, hey, if I can make a goose call that sounds good, that'd be pretty cool. And then I did that. And then it was, well, maybe I can uh, have a couple buddies want to use them and, and see if we can kill some geese over them. And then we did that. And then I had this great idea. I'm like, man, you know, if I, if I try and sell one or two a month, you know, that's, that's another trip I can go take, you know, sure. just on goose call money. And, you know, now it's kind of morphed into, I almost want to quit my regular job and just do calls full time. Awesome. So, great, man. you know, it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I was like coming up to the minor leagues. I wasn't making much money and, you know, early on 2009, 2010, 2011, and I was picking up these little uh it was when instagram and all that stuff was new and i started doing some stuff social media a few hundred bucks here and there and i just kind of saw it that same way i was like hey this is you know i, I picked this one up this is my pay for my trip to canada this year with the boys so that's awesome that it's getting to that point where you can actually even consider that i know everybody that that i've asked about them they speak really really highly of them so i'm looking forward to maybe getting one and, and trying one out now for this uh before we get going Basically, I just want you guys to to bounce off each other, and I'll just kind of kind of play the middle. Most of these questions, they're they're geared toward honkers uh, because that's what the majority of goose hunters are chasing. Um, 
So that's what we're predominantly going to be talking about. So I'm not going to specify that we're talking about honkers on every single question. We'll just go into it knowing that for the most part, we're talking about big geese. We're not talking about cacklers, lessers, ducks, specs. We're going to talk about big geese. So let's get into it. This is going to be fun. So the first thing I want to talk about is flocked versus unflocked. Does it make a difference? And if so, what situation or scenario would you choose one or the other? Oh, can I start here, Rusty? Do you care? Go ahead. I'm going to go with that for the most part. <laughs> Everything being equal, it does not make a difference, Asher, in my opinion, for whatever that's worth. If you take a look at like a silhouette decoy, right? And let's just take some like rough dimensions of a silhouette, maybe your silhouette. It, uh, it's two feet long, right? Foot, foot tall, give or take. Mm -hmm. That's two square feet of surface area. Now you go to the other side. There's two more square feet of surface area. Now, now you put out 100 of those. That's two square feet, four square feet. That's 400 square feet of decoys out there that aren't flocked. The surface is not flocked. Your head's about two inches wide and seven or eight inches long on a decoy like that on both sides. So you've got 90% of the decoy is unflocked. I don't think that a small portion, maybe eight or 10% of the decoy spread being flocked makes a difference on killing a bunch of geese, you know? Um, plus you factor in the fact that for 30 years, people killed a millions of geese with unflocked decoys, unflocked mallard heads, unflocked big feet, unflocked GNH shells, unflocked black and whites down in southern Illinois or the eastern shore of Maryland. You know, and given things have evolved a little bit and geese have gotten a little bit smarter and ducks too, but all things being equal, I just don't think that the small amount of flocking on a head can make that much difference. Maybe in the course of a season, if you hunted 20 times, you know, maybe there's a one bunch that doesn't catch a, a glare or something that doesn't freak them out. Maybe one bunch. I don't know what you think, Rusty. Maybe two bunches. It's hard to quantify because there's no way to measure it. Mm -hmm. I just, given the history of how many birds have been killed over unflocked decoys, and that then in the dive bomb realm, the head is the only portion that's flocked unless you're using those black and whites. That's a small portion of, of the decoy. And especially you've got out 100, 200, 300 of them. There's huge amounts of square feet of decoy out there unflocked. So in my opinion, and I'll let Rusty finish up here, um, I don't think it makes that much difference. I don't think it makes that much of a difference on a silhouette. And I think that's what brings the whole conversation to light here. Brett, you get those hard frost days. You get them big full body spreads set early. And next thing you know, you're looking at two to 300 icicles come sunrise. That's where it makes a difference. But the best issue with silhouettes is you set 30 dozen in 10 minutes with three guys and frost is no longer a thing. I definitely think it's a huge plus on the black and whites for that insane contrast you get. But on a standard V2, V2F Canada Goose silhouette, do I think it's the end all to be all? Honestly, no. I own the V2Fs simply because all my buddies that I hunt with here, 
just have V2s. So it's really easy to tell mine from theirs when we're picking up at the end of the day. Let me ask you guys this. So <clears throat> a lot of people probably heard talks about it, but a V2FF, it's something that we've been working on and it's something that we'll, we will be releasing um, likely before next season. Brett, do you think now that we're going from talking about just the head to the entire silhouette being flocked, that's a V2 fully flocked, do you think that will make a difference? I think the biggest difference there, Asher, is in setting that then in the morning, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. You don't have to worry about, is this one set at an angle where it's going to catch a reflection? Mm -hmm. am, I am I tilting this down a little bit to, to send that that little bit of, uh, you know, shine or reflection downward so the geese don't see it? That completely then goes out the window because you've got everything's flocked. So who cares, right? So from an ease of use perspective, then you have absolutely nothing to worry about. I do think that they look warmer for what, you know, that's my term for it. When you look out across a spread of decoys, it's fully flocked. They have that warmer, feathery look to them mm -hmm. because they're absorbing that light, right? I mean, that's like a, I don't know the exact blend of the material, but it's a, it's a fabric or a synthetic blend that's absolutely, you know, it's actually excuse sure. me, absorbing some amount of light, right? Now, again, does it make a difference? confidence wise probably you know you probably feel better about what's out there you know it's not the shine on the decoys you don't have to worry about how you set them so in that situation yeah if you got a fully flocked one i think then that's a big step up from just the head but you know with the question i see on the internet all the time on your forum is what should i buy what should i buy i always bring it back to this like something my dad used to say in life buy the best thing you can afford without going broke like if your budget is x and X allows you to buy 15 dozen of the unflocked ones, but you can't afford 15 dozen of the, of the fully flocked ones. Get the ones that you can buy. Get the best one. Spend your money one time and get the best ones you can afford. But if your budget isn't, you know, isn't at that, 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 uh, that level and you just want to get into it, each of your buddies is going to buy five dozen of something and the unflocked ones kind of fit where you're at money-wise, then go that route. It's not going to cost you geese or numbers of birds, at least in my opinion. So, Rusty, at the end of the day, you think that if somebody, you know, goes the unflocked route, overflocked, kind of going back to what Brett said, you, you maybe you feel a little bit better, you feel a little bit more confident, but at the end of the day, more so maybe even at the end of the season, is the answer that it's not going to be a significant amount of more dead birds on the ground with either one? Well, if we're just going flocked head to non-flocked head, I don't see a significant difference. A V2FF, on the other hand, I see a very significant difference. And I can promise you that will be what I run next year. 150% because it, it eliminates any excuses. It eliminates, um, and I'm a, a hunter that's all about having the most amount of tools in the toolbox that you can possibly have. Sure. But the ability of that soft, warm look that a fully flocked decoy has to me by being able to do it in a silhouette means that everybody can start driving a Toyota Prius or a Honda Prius 
with four bags in the back seat and kill geese anywhere. You, you, you won't need big shell spreads for the snow. You won't need big full body spreads that the way it just absorbs that sunlight, you know, it's, if you're a silhouette skeptic, there's nothing to be skeptical about anymore. Mm-hmm. Spread, spread them out, pack them tight. When there's not going to be any shine, no matter what, there's nothing left to sit there and ponder, in, in my opinion. I've had plenty of people this year hunting over the V2Fs, you know, and I'm sure you've heard it too, Asher. Oh, on the bright, sunny days, it I don't think it does anything to the geese. I think it just plays games with people's mindsets. Mm-hmm. And the, the more confident you can be, um, the better. So put a fully flock silhouette decoy, one that you know is not going to give any wrong ray of shine, wrong, wrong light, you know, attitude off of it, your confidence goes up. If your confidence goes up, you've got a chance. If you start the morning with no confidence, you might as well have stayed home. I'm a firm believer in that. Brett, you got anything you want to add before we move on on that? Uh, Just my last thought on it, on it is where I think that people overthink it is they worry about that piece of it too much. And I think there's way bigger things to worry about in a hunt <laughs> than are my, my heads flocked or are my decoys fully flocked? Like I, obviously everyone always says location, location, location. Let's just say you have the location. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's moved to the side. You're in a spot where there's birds coming over and maybe they're coming in. There. But then after that, there's so many things above <laughs> flocking. Like, What's your hide look like? How, where are you going to set them up in the field? How many are you going to use? What position are you going to put them in? Where are the birds coming from? How are you going to call? Well, how are you going to call if they don't finish? How are you going to move the de- – like, to me, there's, you know, seven to ten other things that I would worry about before I'd worry about, you know, what decoys I had. And I don't know about you, Rusty. I'd like your take on it. If Would you feel handicapped at all if I stuck you and said, hey – there's 300 honkers coming into this field. It's a bean field in early, you know, October in, you know, Minnesota or West Illinois or Wisconsin. Here's 15 dozen unflocked head or regular, you know, V2 decoys. Would you feel handicapped with that? No, I'd almost think it's too many. <laughs> I know, but that's my point is I don't think that you'd spend, you know, 10 minutes at night talking about the flocking. I think you'd spend an hour in the field like, okay, where are we going to set? Sure. How are we going to put it out? Who's going to call? Because it's September, so we're not going to call a whole right. lot. So, you know, who's going to call? Who's going to call the shot? You know, if they're over here, are we going to shoot? There's a lot more things that go into the hunt. That's right. my final take on it is yeah. I don't think people would feel handicapped, Asher, in a, you know, with unflocked decoys, and I don't think that they should. All right. Go ahead, Rusty. You had anything you want to jump in there with? Yeah, like uh, just to piggyback on what Brett just said, if you're experienced, it's a non-issue. It's the the youth of this sport that are just getting into it that think because they, they read everything that it's an issue. And so it's easily, if they're not fully flocked this, that, or the other, it's easily the first thing they can point a finger at, sure. right? Hey, Billy, how come they didn't come in? Oh, it's your decoys, Joe. They're not fully flocked. Instead of <laughs> really trying to dissect what the issue is, right? Sure. Let's face it. It's a Canada goose. They've been shot over tires for years back in the heyday. You know, they. It, it's never the decoys, in my opinion, unless they're full of frost. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all those examples that, that 
you gave Brett, those are all really, really good things that I want to start moving toward right now. And some of those questions that these guys start acting or asking and maybe not um, giving the weight that they deserve. So let's just start right here. Really, really basic. How do I know how many decoys I need? Go ahead, Rusty. Experience. And that's, that's the God's honest truth. I mean, it all boils down to how confident you feel in reading the birds. If you feel, you know, hey, there's been 300 geese using this bean field for the last week, you should be able to go out there with as few as seven or eight decoys if you have a good enough hide and you're not trying to shoot 20 guns and get them right centered up with very minimal calling and have a fantastic finishing hunt. But if it's 300 geese that are just trafficking over a field, well, you might want to take 20, 30 dozen out there because you know you're not going to get them all. And you're just trying to put on a scene of, hey, look, there's a new feed over here, right? Where you're going to be a lot more aggressive in your calling. It's it's so situational. It, it, it's honestly very, very hard to put a number on um, without absolutely being there. Um, oh, to me, well, the most... You know, the, I was going to say, the thing that I always think about is, in Asher, is are you hunting an X field, question mark, or are you trafficking, second question mark. Okay, it's an X field, good. How many are coming in there, and how comfortable are they? Did it develop into an X yesterday, so it's only been marinating like 12 hours? Mm -hmm. As Rusty just said, is it a week old? (laughs) Where they're coming there. And I think what people forget – is when you have an X field and let's just say it's like a three or four day feed and they've been coming in there and the weather hasn't changed a whole lot and it's staying pretty consistent. They've been coming in there every morning at seven 30 to eight 30 in bunches of eight to 12. Let's just say we're talking honkers here. They are coming there. The only thing that will mess them up coming there is you being there. That is the only thing that's going to stop them from feeding in that field. And you know, I've read some posts on here thing where guys like, oh, I had a 400 bird X and I rolled in there with, you know, we put out 275. And I'm like, like what? <laughs> you know, you did what? Right. You know, those those first those first bunches have been coming in there for a week, four days, three days, four days, five days. There's no other geese in the field at all. None. And so they come in there and there's 300 silhouettes set up or 300 other decoys and somebody yapping on a call thinking they're Tim Grounds. And they're like, whoa, what the hell is this? Like, I'm out. You know, it's just it's just too much. And as Rusty said, I think what gets lost, if you're hunting an X and they're coming there, the only thing those decoys there to do is to put them in front of your spot in the field. That's the only – you're not there to pull geese flying a half a mile away. You're not there to break down migrators. You're not there to – you know, to traffic geese in that are flying up the, up the far fence line, you are only trying to finish the birds that are coming there. You know, and Rusty said seven or eight decoys. I mean, you, I, I think like the right number there is like if they're coming in there good, like what, Rusty, two, three dozen? Tops, yep. Just, and no calling. And if you want to call to make yourself feel good so you can tell your buddies you finished them, <laughs> blow a cluck when they're 100 yards out, <laughs> you know, like blow one warm, warm cluck as they're, you know, as they start to talk and kind of set their wings and sink to the ground, like if you want to feel good about yourself, you know, 
So you're like, yeah, I stuck them right in the hole for everybody. All right, blow your two clocks when they're 100 yards out there and then then grab your gun. Just but just shut up the rest of the way. <laughs> like that's a that's a two or three dozen decoy deal. Like in exactly what you said, Rusty, if you got 300 geese going over your field and they're feeding half a mile up the road, well, you've got to shift the party. And you need to make it when they come over, hey, we shifted, you're late to the deal. There's 300 of us already eating down here. and yeah, you should probably get in here. And that's a whole different scenario than, you know, than a hardcore X where they've been in there, they're comfy, you know, they're getting fat and happy in there for three hours a day. Awesome. Oh, for sure. And I do think when you get on that traffic field, if you want to run two or 300 decoys, I think Brett will probably agree with me, really get some distance in those decoys. You don't want them all just real, real balled up. Mm -hmm. You're going to want to make it look like the party is everywhere in the field and there'll just be one center mass where the party's really happening. But just like when you're, when you're a youngster and you walk into the bar, you want to be having a good time. The second you walk in that door, not just necessarily when you get up there to get that drink. I, I, I see so many people take these big, big wads of decoys and they just ball it all up in one little blob instead of running. Don't be scared to run a family group two, 300 yards downwind. Have have enough confidence in, in your calling and your ability to make a, a main feed spot in there to where you can have the birds get really birdie when you're running traffic so they're not just getting real birdie when they get right directly to your hide. If you can get them birdie two, 300 yards away from your hide, you'll have a lot easier time finishing them into your hide. Awesome. Go, talking about the hide, let's say, <clears throat> let's say we just got this monster that's built up. It's a, it's just a true X that's been building and building and building like 2000 birds in this field. I should be able to get away with just about anything, right? Is, is my hide really that important? I think it's the most important thing, the most to me, because if they see you, if they know a human being is there, they're not coming in there. That's it. Like I'm big about not just the hide. If you hunt with me, we're parking. You better bring your walking shoes because we're parking the trucks absolutely as far away as I can get them in most cases. Like I'll, if I'm hunting 800 yards into a field asher, I'll park my truck at the entrance 800 yards away and still tuck it into. I don't want them to know that a human being is there. Or any presence of it. People are like, well, they feed up against tractors all the time. I'm like, well, the tractor doesn't have seven guys with Benelli's coming out of it. You know? <laughs> so, well, people are like, well, they were right up against the road yesterday. Well, they didn't land against the road. They landed somewhere out in the middle and fed their way into that corner. You know? And and it's like, well, you know, the trucks are behind us. Or I'm getting a little um, off topic here. But to me, it's it's the number one piece because you cannot kill them if they know you're there. And you can usually tell by the first couple of groups, the first couple of groups come in and they veer off, especially like in the half light and you're not calling, they're seeing you. And then you know, it's awful because like, hell, they're seeing you in the dark. What do you think that's going to be like mm -hmm. when the light comes up? So to me, it's like the absolute, there's an old saying, you know, there's an old Abraham Lincoln saying, and I'm going to probably butcher it a little bit, but I think he said, uh, if I had somebody gave you six hours to um, cut down a tree, what would you do? He said, I'd spend five hours sharpening the axe mm -hmm. and then one hour cutting down the tree. Mm -hmm. And to me, if somebody's like, you got an hour and a half to set up, 
I'd rather sit there for 45 minutes and cover that pit up invisible, rake up corn fluff, bean fodder. If it's an, it's an A-frame, I'll go cut limbs, you know, bring, bring tools to do it. Um, you know, trimming tools and, you know, branch snippers and stuff where you can literally cut two truckloads of stuff before you ever set a decoy where when they come out, you know, it looks like a bush. It looks like a tree. It looks like part of the fence line. The pit's invisible or I got six layouts in there. I have so much corn raked up in between the blinds and ramped up the back that, you know, that a buddy walking out wouldn't know where the blinds are when they're 50 yards behind the spread. That's that's me. Rusty. Yeah, when you're hunting an X field, especially one that's had plenty of time for the birds to be in it, in, in my opinion, I mean, look at your dinner table. You sit down there every night. You know where every single thing is on that dinner table. And so the night you sit down and the salt and pepper shakers aren't on the dinner table, you know it. And that's the same way I view the hide. You know, the birds have been coming there. They are so used to all of the physical features in that field. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, hey, wait, that wasn't here yesterday. And it will be there yesterday if you do a good enough job making it blend. You know, the, the old five hours sharpening the axe, you know, in, in a silhouette world, which is what we're all in right now, you could have 30 dozen. It takes three guys 15 minutes, maybe, Brett, to set that many? Yeah, maybe. Right? So get to a field an hour and a half, two hours before and focus on the blind. And when somebody when somebody in the group of four, five, six, eight, 15 says, the blinds look good, that's when you know you're just halfway there. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Like you, you can't hide enough. You can't make it blend enough, soften the edges of it up, right? Especially birds that get hunted a lot where brett's at northern illinois there's a lot of guys using a-frames getting on the hedgerows and all that now so soften it up don't make it square boxy and sticking out go that extra mile cut them extra limbs you know the the better you can hide the more hunting mistakes it's going to allow you to make and still come out of there having a successful day rusty what was that quote <clears throat> that you said last night or it, it might have been you brett um what was that quote you said, that Tim Brown's quote? You, you don't ever want to hunt the goose. You want the goose to hunt you. That's so cool. That's awesome, man. You know, like you, when, when, when he said that, it was in relation to they don't know you're there. Sure. Your, call, your calling is sparse enough that they don't know exactly where it's coming from. Your decoys are set totally natural, not in like U's and W's and human shapes. And when they come across the field and you blow a couple of clucks and you're sitting there in a cornfield, they're going to be like, where the hell did that come from? Oh, there's geese down there eating. Like, I want to go find where that call came from or a duck do even in that, you know, that case, like where did that lonesome hen just sound off from? Where is that? Um, and you know, when you are in a hide and you're just banging away on the call, they'll pin you. They know where it's coming from. They're not dumb. I mean, that bird, people forget, like, they're like, why didn't those come in? How come I can't finish them? It's a wild animal. It's not a pen raised pheasant hunt. That bird only has to worry about a couple things in his or her life. Um, when am I going to eat? When am I going to have sex again? When am I going to mate? And how am I not going to get killed by a human or a coyote? Like literally that's their, to me, that's their four things. Like how am I going to, when am I going to eat? <laughs> when am I going to mate? And how am I not going to get killed? 
And so these hides and things that like you see people put up, it's like, well, it's, it's not my hide. And you take, well, it's funny. They never have a picture of it. No, it was perfect. Well, apparently it wasn't because you didn't kill anything. So it's, uh, but to me, there's a segue to that. And Rusty, I'd like your, your take on it is I will forego the, the, the perfect position in the field to get a better hide. There might be a perfect ridge that they've been feeding on in a bean field or a corn field or a barley field or something, but there's just no hide there. And you can be right where they want, and there's 500 big honkers coming in there, but if I set up right there, they're going to bust me. But wait a minute. I can set up 300 yards away and disappear. Mm-hmm. And then that might ask her, it all starts to work together. Like Rusty said, experience like, well, if I got to be two, 300 yards away, right from where they want to be, maybe it's not two dozen decoys on that X. Maybe then it's like four or five dozen, mm-hmm. you know, to give them a little more pop. I got to pull them down this hill or pull a good up, point. This, up this ridge. Like <laughs> then it starts to interplay together. Mm-hmm. Like, well, wait a minute. I'm not on spot A. I'm on spot B. They've been on spot A. It's still an X field. I got to pull them up this ridge. I got to pull them down this hill a little bit where I can perfectly hide. But mm-hmm. that's a big thing I, I've always done is I will forego the most perfect spot in the field to get a better hide. Now, I won't go hunt in the shittiest spot in the field. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's got some big, you know, shallow spot that's, you know, real low or the super top of a hill. And then there's maybe like a, a place I can put a blind up there and hide. Like that's just not natural. But I'll pick the most natural spot in the field where I can get a perfect, mm-hmm. perfect hide. That's a great point. That's a great point. I think that's so overlooked. Um, so often our eyes get big. We, we even do it. I did it. We did it last week. Um, trying to get set up on taking the birds over the hide. And I've done it before, said I'll never do it again. And I've, I've found myself doing it. And there's some situations where particular birds or pockets of birds, you can do it, but we should have known better and we did it anyway and it didn't work out. And uh, I think that's a great point is really focusing on that hide to give yourself the best opportunity to decoy these birds. Now, let's talk about socks um, for a minute for big geese. Is there an acceptable time or situation where you can utilize socks for big geese? Are we talking a full-on sock no, no, spread? No, 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 no. We're just talking about any time, whether you're mixing a dozen per five dozen, maybe one per 15 or 20 decoys. Uh, is there a situation that you think they could help you a certain wind or weather or just, just socks and big geese? I know myself, I'm a fan, and I don't use a lot. If I'm running 10 dozen of any other decoy six to 12 would be tops the amount I would want to run. I'm not saying you couldn't use more. Mm -hmm. I just know I have a lot of confidence in that. And when I like to do it is on a a moderate wind day, not a crazy heavy wind day, but on a, on a wind day where you're going to get some movement out of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of guys like to run those, those full bodies on the motion cones. And an issue I have with it is that you don't see a natural goose move that way. But the motion you get out of a sock on the left to right sway is a natural motion of a bird walking. And so what I like to do is I like to set a group that if I'm one of the the geese in the air flying, 
I'm going to concentrate on that group as a group that just landed. And then I've got a decision to make. Do I want to jump over them to get to the feed or do I want to land right in behind them? Mm-hmm. And where I like to deploy the socks is put a few of them in front of that group that I've depicted to make look like it just come in. And so they can see that there's geese ahead of that group that are already on the, the, the haul it mode to get into the, to the feed. And I've had a lot of success doing that. And I, I honestly can attribute it to the socks because I've had plenty of days where we didn't set the socks for half the morning and then set them. And it's not going to make a difference in whether you kill geese, but it will make a difference in being able to control where you finish the goose per se. So I'm a fan. And Rusty, I was going to say, I can't remember the name of them. There were some old, you remember those brown socks that, uh, what the hell was the name of that company? That they'd sway back and forth. You had to, they didn't have a backbone. You had to have like perfect wind. It had to be like eight to fi- 18 miles an hour to fill them up. Wasn't they, it North? I think it was North, North wind. wind. North Wind. And they had wind. the ones with the wings. Yeah. I still yeah, I had, like I had I some of those as a kid. The regular waddlers, you know, and we always had, this was going back 20 years of porters, but I mean, he used to kill, we used to kill 2,000 geese a year there, you know, big honkers a year and every year. And we always had, like you said, about six to eight of those north winds in every pit. And you'd put them out in little bunches or two or three over here waddling. And on the right wind, like an eight to 20, and they'd fill up with wind and they'd waddle. And man, like you'd walk away from that spread and like you'd be 100 yards away. And you couldn't, if you took your eyes off, you're like, wait a minute, did two just land out there? Are they walking in? Or are those the north winds? Like you couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. And so I think like, I like that number that you put out there, like, Hey, you get the right wind, like a seven to 15, seven to 20, where they're not bouncing and they're just waddling a little bit and moving, Mm -hmm. you know, in little pods of two or three, I mean, maybe a dozen total kind of spaced out two over here, three over there. It, it, it adds realism. And how can that, that, that can't possibly hurt you. I want to talk about two things. I've got two questions. These are, just very briefly, we're going to get away from more of the uh, Waterfowl 101 question. Well, I guess technically these are kind of Waterfowl 101 and from two guys that's been around for a minute. I got two questions um, that are not really setup questions, but they're more etiquette type of questions. Who gets the band? Group hunting, who gets the band? And we're not talking about a solo coming off the end and somebody crunches it and they go out and get it and there's a band on it. We're talking about, you know, eight, you know, six to 10 guys. You maybe have a group 15, 20 come in. Maybe you rain out 10, 12. Um, who gets the band? Who's field? Who did, all, who did <laughs> all the work? Who did all the work? So we're not, we're not, we're not drawn. We're not putting a feather in a shell. No, it, to me, if, if it's, one of your buddy's fields and it's a toss up, it's his. If, if it's a person that found the feed and got the permission from the farmer, it's his. If it's the person that owns the war Eagle, that's got the the 150 on it. He's got the $30,000 boat and he motored you all back in there to that duck hole and you killed a lot of ducks and there's a banded mallard in there. That's going to the guy who put in the work or has the most invested to me in that hunt. There's no, there's no flipping coins. I love it. Yeah. To, to me, there'd only be one exception. 
if there's a young a youngster out there, get them get them hooked on this sport. That band goes right there. That's awesome. That's I mean, keep that in mind, guys. It's just because you're there, just because you pulled the trigger, guess, guess of a guest. Set that one aside. Give the person the band that deserves it. The person that put the work in, work in. Keep that in mind. We see that all the time. I'll see guys didn't have anything to do with, it and they're wanting to draw out of the hat. Um, do the right thing. It's it's not that big a deal. It's a piece. Of, it's a piece of aluminum. But at the end of the day, it, it it is a nice little you know token for somebody that that gets guys on a good hunt and um, you know, they put a good shoot together because of the work that somebody else uh, put in or the financial investment. And uh, that's just a small little reward to say, thank you. So be the guy that heck, even if you maybe, maybe if you did think you shoot it, man, pick that thing up and take it straight to him where there's not even a question. So here you go, man. Thank, and thank you. Him. Yeah. And thank, thank you him. for that. Um, I'd you like, know, if, like if you've got like, more of that. maybe you've got, maybe you've got, somebody got the permission or it's somebody's, spot or their lease but the other guy brought his trailer and he's the guy that brought the 50 dozen decoys and the three panel blinds to make it all work maybe those two guys go into the sure but sure just on a group steel curtain shoot that's what we all call you know when everybody just group shoots i just call it the steel curtain nine guns come up right eight birds fall nobody knows who the hell killed what really you know and you find a band out there that's either going to the field owner, as you said, the person's got the biggest investment in that hunt, or maybe the couple of guys that it's the spot or their equipment, maybe they draw for it. But to go into a general, oh, let's let's flip nine, or maybe you're cool with that, which is fine. But to me, it like you said, just pick it up and walk it to that guy. What's something you can do to guarantee you'll never be invited back? You're a guest. What are some things you can do? You know, this is for some of these Number new one, guys. They might not even know it. better, but what what what's something you can do to guarantee that these guys, the guys that ran the show or ran the hunt are like, nah, like that, he, that guy ain't coming back. Jump shoot. I call jump shooting. Not what people think when snow goes on, not jumping. You're talking geese. about jumping jump the gun. Is somebody says they're going to call the shot. You're with Rusty and his, and his kids and his buddies from Ontario. And I go up there with a couple of friends and he takes me out to his killer spot up there against the, the minor refuge. And a pair comes right in with 20 working and my buddy gets up and jump and shoots mm-hmm. the pair gone, probably never coming back. <laughs> that or me is ringing my bell or shooting down the blind, just danger, like dangerous shit. Like, you know, and I think people that to me is dangerous gun handling safety's coming off like real early shooting down the blind like you only get one chance with a shotgun when you make a mistake it it might be somebody's life Mm -hmm. and so to jump shooting is dangerous as well because that guy might not be getting down you know the guy calling the shot he might be standing he you he sees something you don't like but just unsafe gun handling is my number one i probably got him out of order there and then jump shooting number two and don't be the guy that shows up for the hunt and then has got to leave at eight thirty or nine o'clock oh, to take your kids man. to the doctor. Like if you can't stick it out, um, and if you are that guy, you better do a lot prior to the hunt. You better bring coffee, two dozen Dunkin' Donuts. You better kiss some ass going into that hunt. Like, hey guys, I'm leaving early, but I'll do. You know, I brought coffee for everybody. I got donuts for everyone, and uh, I'll, you know, I'll get you guys on the next time. But 
those are my three unsafe gun handling, shooting out of turn or shooting down the blind and then being late what about you, and Beth? being late or excuse, and not helping clean up. Rusty. Yeah. All, all of the above from Brett and then a huge one with me at the end of the hunt. Don't be like, Hey, you want my birds, man? No, I don't. I don't want your birds. I want the birds I shot and that's it. You know, like if, if you're going to come shoot them, you better be willing to see it all the way through, take your birds, clean them, do something productive with them. You know, I don't, I don't like that. Um, but really the, the, the gun safety is huge. Um, I can handle people getting excited and jumping a shot every now and then I'm to the point, And I know Brett's there too, or if we don't shoot at every group that comes in, it's not the end of the world. Right. It's just the fact that if you're an invited guest, you know, you kind of just, you're an invited guest, be that guest, be, don't be that guy. Right. And if, if you happen to have a wall of steel hunt where there's three or four or five or six guys shooting, don't be that guy every time that looks down the line and goes, I got three. <laughs> You, oh, didn't. Well, I, you really did. <laughs> I'm going to respectfully disagree with you there. You do that with me. I'm going to congratulate and say, good job. You're done. Yeah. So, yeah. No, for good. sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Put those three in front of you. You're awesome shooting there, Tom Knapp. Awesome shooting. <laughs> you're, you're done. You're tagged out. Uh, you're, you're, you're the best. Thank you. Yeah. Here. I'm uh, I'm big on that. The, what Brett's calling jump shooting, jumping the gun early. We, you know, I've got times I've taken people in the woods and I've seen people kind of like you said, Rusty, you'll get, you have two or three, they do it, they commit on the trees, but they've got, you know, 40 or 50 on their heels and it's a first timer in the woods and they're just, you know, you got a pair of greenheads dancing around your barrel. I've seen guys shoot and it's like, hey, you let them know, like, hey, man everybody wants to shoot just as badly as you like, this isn't, this isn't your show. Like everybody here wants to pull the trigger and we've organized this hunt for a person to call the shot. That way we can all maximize on opportunity. So yeah, people jump the gun, they get excited first timer. Okay. But if it becomes an issue where it's just pure selfishness, somebody trying to, you know, get ahead of others, it's like, okay, that's where you draw the line. You, you, the excitement factor, you, you got your one and done with a new hunter. But after that, it's like, that's it. And then, of course, the gun safety, that can't be overstated. There's a lot of, I'm sure, little things that we could pick on for the next hour. But gun safety, we're all out there for fun. But we want to go home to our families, okay? And like Brett said, one mistake with a shotgun is all it takes, um, you know, to be lights out. So keep that in mind, guys. Shoot your lanes. Don't ring your buddy's ears. That's not fun. I mean, that's the quickest way to... Run a hunt for somebody as you just blast somebody's eardrums out. And I've had it happen more times than I can count. And I've probably done it on accident to people. And, um, you know, stay in your lanes, guys. Stay in your lanes. Don't shoot over people's heads. That's not any fun. I don't think people realize, like, I wear hearing protection a lot of the time. Sometimes I forget. But you tee off with a 26-inch barrel with like a pat, like a ported choke, oh. pattern master, or something like a Jebs, and you rip off a three and a half inch Roman candle, like about <laughs> nine, you know, foot and a half off the front of my corner, you know, it damn near knocks you into the bottom of the blind or the pit. Like it, it, it it's you know, it's like a percussion grenade going off next to your head. <laughs> and people are like, "Well, oh, you, you missed those ones on the end." Well, like, yeah, of course I missed them on the end. I, had your <laughs> I was ducking your barrel, dude. 
I had hey, Benelli hey. was freaking ripping, you know, like I said, you know, three and a half inch, you know, federal blue boxes through a pattern <laughs> mat, 14 inches from my like right eye. Sorry, sorry, I couldn't, you know, keep my head down. But hey, I'm in on the band draw. Yeah, I'm in on the band draw. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that's what, when you get rid of the band draw, you get rid of a lot of that too. Like that, nothing drives me crazier than when you see the, the younger generation, and not that the older generation isn't guilty of it, but you'll see five, six, eight guys hunting together, and two birds come in, and you hear kill them, and it's and then bang, bang, you know, whoever, whatever kid actually just picks the gun up and relaxes and doesn't try and race the other guy, you know, the birds fall on like the 12th and 13th mm -hmm. shot. Right, like just get rid of that when when a pair comes in and you're hunting with more than two guys, three guys, just okay. Brett on the left, Asher on the right, go. And if they miss, who cares? More. Yeah, it's something to laugh about for the rest of the day. You know, you don't. It's not very often you talk about that time you killed eighty-seven. You talk about the time that friggin' five dumped right in the hole and Asher come up and went whiff, whiff, exactly. whiff. That's what you talk That's about. Right. The missing, right. you know. So, yeah, but, but, uh, I'm sure you get it probably even worse than, than anybody as far as, you know, everybody wanting to say they shot their gun because the bands, because being next to a freaking, uh, you know, a minor side, it's like everybody knows that every goose that comes in, there's a chance that, you know, they could have a Jack minor band on them. So everybody's just wanting to jump the gun, boom, jump, you know, okay, kill them, boom, 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 boom. Oh, well, I shot, I shot. Oh, okay. There's a band in there. Right, well, I won in the draw. Well, it's Rusty's field. How about we let Rusty have the band? If he decides he wants to give the band to a first timer or somebody else, I think that's the way it needs to go. So, well, yeah, I've got a, another story on that one. Rusty and I were hunting together up in Winnipeg two years ago. There's a thing that goes on up there. It's called the Stony Mountain Goose Shoot. We need to get Asher to that. Yeah, and that's a uh, what it is is a goose. It's a one day goose hunting contest. They scout all the fields. You have a team of three guys, and it's who can put together the heaviest bag. It's kind of like a bass tournament. The the oh, heaviest heavy. bag. <laughs> yeah, the well, heaviest twelve. The problem is up there is there's a gazillion honkers. Getting your limits, not the question. Mm -hmm. But there's there's lessers and real lessers, not not cacklers, not Pacific Northwest. You know. Mm -hmm cacklers but like what i call true lessers you know the five six right, right. just everywhere and they're dumber than hammers and you're in these scouted fields then there's 40 50 fields and it's all up around you know about 20 30 miles north of winnipeg and most of them are pretty solid x fields that they save for like a week and the um you're trying to kill this heavy bag and uh and you got these lessers mixed in. So it's kind of a game of do we shoot these? Do we not shoot these? Do we shoot these honkers? But also up there is the prison where they banned all the rivet bands. And if you go up there, it's a sight to see. There's a prison with big like lakes in the front of it and high fences. And there's what, Rusty, how many rivet bands do they do there a year? Was uh, Is it like four or five hundred, something like that? It, it, it's a lot. All, all those guys that you see killing rivets in Rochester. Uh -huh. That they're all coming out of Stony Mountain. Yeah. And so there's the Stony Mountain prison. And as you talk about guys <laughs> shooting oh for, for minor bands, well, our buddies were even up there like losing their minds because, you know, like Jason Scott and <laughs> Beezer, like 
they're trying to shoot everything. We're like, I think I saw a rivet. I think I saw a rivet. <laughs> like, not even banded, you clown. Anyway, it's uh, that sounds when fun. you're next to when you're next to those spots, like Rusty's spot there at the at the minor refuge, or maybe you're up there north of Winnipeg, up against that Stony Mountain area, where you know there is a very good chance of like killing a rivet band. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like people's kind of rules they just kind of go out the window that sounds fun man all right let's get back on track do i need flyers like if i do how many do i need and how do i use them the right way well if you're snow goose hunting and the wind's right you need about uh you know 10 to 20 i'd probably say if you're canada goose hunting the best there's a great place for them at least in my opinion that's either in your truck or tucked in the weeds but um I just don't have much luck finishing big geese that come in usually slow and usually low with a bunch of garbage in your hole, so to speak, or where I don't really make kill holes. I always like to have a couple of decoys loosely spread out about where I want to shoot them. I think geese like to land other other geese. I don't, I'm not a believer in kill holes, quote unquote, but Rusty, I don't know about you. I don't like a bunch of crap out there and that could be flyers that could be robos on full size poles. That could be motion decoys of any sort. I don't want anything like within a, you know, 20 yards of where that spot is where I really want to shoot. Them. What about a mechanical one that you can shut off? Maybe, maybe if you're hunting um, outside of the spread and you got one of those that's got the remote on it and you can, you know, kind of use it I like a lucky, flag. You know, lucky duck makes a lucky duck makes a pretty good one. Their newest one. Mm-hmm. That one with the remote. Yeah. And you see Sean Stahl using it a lot, like in his videos. And I think that like slightly upwind to where you want them. But again, I don't want them looking at like what looks like hawk wings, Sure, you know, pinned pin down over something dead or that they're killing. Mm-hmm. To me, it looks like when it, even when the wings are down, it, it could have the, the appearance of like a bird of prey, you know, like a big hawk, a big red tail, an eagle, depends upon where you are, you know, pin something down and they got those big wings over it. But I, I, I have a couple of those on the remotes from lucky duck and you pump them. I, I have turned a lot of geese mm-hmm. with those, with that type of motion, a flag type motion. What do you think Rusty? Well, I'll probably ruffle some feathers here, but I think it's just a paid promotion. I think it's more gimmick than anything. Um, as far as the, the, the flapper deal goes, uh, I won't use one. You couldn't pay me to use one. Um, cause I don't think it looks natural at all, especially if you're hunting an X field. Um, I don't see a short read goose call is a two hand operation. I, I really don't want to have to be fiddling around with a remote trying to flap. You know, I, I use a flag a lot differently than a lot of people use a flag. Uh, I am very situational and to me, a flag is like one of the best tricks in my bag. It's, it's one of the best things I have, but it, has a split second interval for time when it needs to be used and run. And I don't want to be sitting there juggling with a remote while I'm screaming and yelling at geese, trying to make this thing flap once or twice. Cause once I get the reaction I want out of a bird with it, I'm done mm-hmm. with it. Um, so that's just my take on it. I think those flyers, I am not a proponent of wanting them anywhere near my decoy spread where I'm hunting. But let's just say you're in a big field, two, three, four hundred acres, and the sweet spot where they've all been for four days is 
800 yards down the way, but you can't get on it because like we talked earlier, there's no, no good hide there. That's where you take, if it's a Canada feed, you take three snow goose decoys and two or three Canada flyers and put them right on that spot. So the birds get there and then they're like, that just doesn't look so right, you know? And then they slide over to you with a little bit of common and a decoy spread and they go, ah, that looks much better. What about, you know, Rusty, I want to, and Asher, I want to say one thing. Yeah, yeah. If you're in a pit or you're in layout blinds that are well hidden, I do think that a pole kite, has a lot of value, particularly. Okay. Paul Kite's not a flyer. That's a I, whole well, other beast. <laughs> because, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off topic there. So let's just say we've settled that the, the flyers are no-go on big geese. And I'm sure there's somebody that killed a limit, a 10-man a, a in Saskatchewan over them. Or I'm right. sure there's somebody in Oklahoma somewhere that killed one day. They killed 120 lessers over them. Um and that's great. I just don't think consistently that they're going to help you. And I think that they will consistently hurt you. That'd be my on that. But now a flag that you have full control over, or especially a pole kite. I really like those old uh, Randy Bart's, the two man with the two, the two on it that go 20 feet up. One's at 20 feet and one's at like 15. You stick that thing up out of a pit or raise that up off the ground and get it moving and birds are going down a tree line, and you get one guy calling and that thing pumping down over the decoys, I've killed hundreds of geese in pits, hundreds doing that, and turned geese that people, you know, I think a goose can see farther than he can hear. That's just my opinion, you know, killing thousands of them, is they can see further than you can call. And they're flying a fence line against the wind 800 yards away. I don't care if you're Tim Browns or Fred Zink or Sean Stahl. You're not going to reach those geese with with whatever call you've got. But two guys on a pole kite and two giant black flags 20 feet off the ground, they can see that. And if they're looking for a place to go, and then you've got 300 silhouettes out, and you've got those flags going, and you get them coming your way, you can you can move some geese and break some geese off of lines with pole kites and flags. I'm just not a fan of, of flyers. Mm-hmm. Let's do a little rapid fire question tom really fast how about that we're, we're gonna mix it up really really quick brett what's the best coos call ever made uh, grounds half breed probably and i say that he was the innovator he was the one that helped develop it he's the first one that mastered it which to me is the biggest thing is how in the hell when one never <laughs> existed did somebody know how to blow one what what could really come out of it mm-hmm. so you get a half breed, you can kill Canada geese, you can kill lesser geese, you can kill snow geese, you can use it if you can you can call cranes with it, you can kill crows. That is the probably the number one killing tool ever made. Rusty. In my opinion. No argument here. I, I I'm the first one to admit I make my own line of calls and I'm also the first one to tell everybody out there if you don't have a Tim Grounds half breed on your lanyard you don't have all the tools you need to be successful every day. That call has its very own unique short read sound. It is unique to itself. There isn't another short read on the market that comes even remotely close to the tone you get from that call. And I'm talking the one with the original half-breed guts, not not with the triple crowns, no disrespect um, to anybody in the grounds camp over that. But that original half-breed with the original guts, if you don't have one on your lanyard, you don't have all the tools you need. 
There are days when that call kills them when no other short readed call will. It's just got like this high pitched, tinny, weird. It's not weird. Tone. It's not a goose. It's not a goose sound. It just kills them. No, it does kill them like that to me. Yeah. Short answer. That's the best one ever made. Have guys perfected it and made calls that sound richer and better? Like, yeah, the, the, the grounds do overhaul or Rusty's calls. Um, you know, Saunders, the traffics and stuff. I mean, those are all, you can't go wrong, but number one ever made is that's the half breed. All right. I'm sure I already know the answer to this. Rusty, who's the most influential goose hunter of all time? Oh, it has to be Tim. Who's the second most influential goose hunter of all time? For me, it'd be Mr. Sean, man. That's funny. I was going to say that too, because Russ or Asher, you guys being in the silhouette business, I mean, Sean Mann was running all silhouettes 25 mm-hmm. years ago. You know, when Real Freaking Peace came out. OG, man. Big time. And by the way, if you can blow a flute, a Sean Mann Eastern Shoreman is the sickest flute. If you can get that down, you've got, again, it's kind of like that half breed. You've got sounds that nobody else can do. Who's third? Can you think of somebody third? Or do you think most of the rest are kind of lumped together below that? I'd say the most influential was probably Art Ladoff okay. from Bigfoot. Okay. Right? Changed the he, game. He he changed the that was like what I Russ, what was it early 80s, 82, 83 original yeah. Bigfoots. Um that's that that changed the game that way. I mean from an influential like I don't know if I'm sure by this point in time uh, full bodies would have evolved. But that was Somebody had to do it first. That's right. Right. Yeah, if, if you're going to give credit, give credit where it's – I mean, that, in my opinion, is definitely the big three. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, that that's going back to the OGs, right, of, of my generation. Now, your kids are going to grow up one day, Asher, and their top three are going to be totally – Tony Vandemore and, yeah, I mean – no, nothing wrong with that, but it's just a different era. You know, it's kind of like the uh, when you start talking about people, you know, talking about the greats of, of sports. You know, if, you know, my grandfather, my dad, they're probably going to see things differently than me just because it's a different generation that we live in. Talk about everything from the athletic training to the nutrition, all the everything that we've got available these days. It's just different times, you know, so it's hard to compare. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't think it gets any better than those three right there. Those are great answers. Brett, what is the most overused waterfowl phrase on social media? Um, most overphrased on social media. It got Western out there. <laughs> it got, nah, there's a lot that drive me crazy. If, that lane, like, if this lanyard could talk full of bands. <laughs> um, one of them is a picture of your dog saying, I'm not sure how many steps he's saved me over the years. I've that I've seen that five thousand times. The other one that gets me that just drives me nuts is guys coming up with what I consider moronic nicknames for birds. Oh my gosh! Yeah, like they just can't call. You talking about sky you know, pandas? Like sky pandas, um, <laughs> cotton tops, um, giggle chickens, and it's like then they start to combine uh... multiple. Just trying to, to me, it's like sound cool, like in an Instagram post, sure. like 41 minute nine man of giggle chickens and cotton tops doing it dirty over the blank. 
And I'm like, can't you just post the goddamn hunt? It's like, hey, we had a great <laughs> hunt with my buddies this morning. Like, does it need to be some contrived, like, blend of all these cool sayings that aren't even original that you came up right. with? Of nicknames and, and Rusty, I see you laughing on the camera here. Like, that to me, this that stuff just drives. I'll me. say the time, the time one, that one. You see that one a lot. It's like the amount of minutes it took. It's like, oh, I got to flex that we shot this five man of mallards on this tiny little creek and while it was still when, dark. When did, you know, when did the limit part drop off of the five man, the ten man? Was that like a couple years I don't ago? Know. Right, that whenever it got cool, of- yeah. And, I, and I'm, you know, partially guilty just because we've created all these different little logos with Dive Bomb. Like we made the little widget, like the little bandit oh, widget, and like the headdress with, you know, the cheap barbell. But I, I will say that the names for the birds, that wears me out. And and we do it at times because of the social media and that it's just the world we live in today. But I try to avoid it as much as possible because it, it the sky pandas and all, it, it seriously it makes me cringe how about though this is the the one i just drives nice little everything is nice little nice little nice little afternoon hunt nice little six man nice little 41 minute hawker limit it's like everything's nice and it doesn't little. get any better like than the nine man dot 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 What's it that? doesn't get any better than dot 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 yeah rusty i know you got something this calls a runner. <laughs> Run this call. What happened to blow? Yeah, this this calls a runner. Yeah, yeah. We don't. Yeah, and and if and if it wasn't for ABC call, there's no way I could have killed him. No way. No, no. Hashtag limits, bro. <laughs> With the Z, L I M I T Z. Oh, you gotta have the Z, man. <laughs> All right, that was fun. How do I know when to call? Like. How do I know if I'm calling too much or not enough? You know you're calling too much if you're on an X field and you have a good hide and a big enough area somewhere for birds to work in and try and, you know, put down on the field if they're not doing that. Um, Generally speaking, you're calling too much if you get birds come at you and leave. You know, if if, if you're on the X and you can't finish them and you have a good hide, they're not pulling up and flaring. They're just flying around the field a few times and leaving. You're calling too much. I don't, you know, think and it, 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 it's uh, something that's going to take a lot of time. It, Rusty, I don't know what your take is. I think people don't realize how loud their calls are downwind. You know, you get a call, you've got a wind at your back 15, 20 miles an hour and you're blowing like, you know, full blown, but it is loud as hell. I mean, I can hear that across another field, 800 yards away. And then people are like, oh, they're not finishing. Well, have you thought about not blowing like an airplane engine into their face when they're set up at 50 yards? But- or talking in the blind. That's my number one pet peeve. Birds are over top you. Asher, one more swing and they're, and they're going to be here. Be ready. One more swing, oh, boys. One more swing, boys. It's like but we think- see them, bro. It's like I, I can see them too, man. Like chill but it's crazy to watch birds pull up when when they get right over top of the blinds and guys start talking back oh and forth to one another just just be quiet yeah it's it's you know and, and brett you're the one that brought this up to me years ago get somebody to go up in a hot air balloon and fly over a city 
It's insane how you, high up in the air you, you can hear a conversation. I've, I've been up in a hot air balloon twice. You can go over somebody's house. Like you can be three, 400 yards above them. I don't know what it is with the acoustics and why it works that way, but you can hear every word that they're saying perfectly. Like you can hear the conversation. You know, I heard Sean Mann say a long time ago in a video, I mean, you, you, you know, Ash, one thing is like, you can hear a single goose. Like you hear a cluck or that high pitched crack on a clear day. Like you're, you're looking up and everyone's like, where in hell is he? Like, is he behind us? You look up. And you look up and how high is that that snow goose or how mm-hmm. high is that Canada right. goose? He's literally like a half a mile right. up in the air. Yeah. And you can hear that cluck or that high pitch crack like he's c- crossing the field 20 yards high. And I don't know what it is with the way that they make sound. And I don't know what it is with the way it carries, but it's kind of a crazy phenomenon how high you can hear clearly birds calling. Mm-hmm. And I think that they can hear us that well. And so you said, like, when are you calling too much? I think a lot of times people are calling too loud Mm -hmm. in addition to calling too much. You know, they don't know how loud that they're they're calling. The best bunches of geese that I shoot every year um, usually happen with little to no calling. I don't know about you, Rusty. They show up. They crest over the trees. They kind of set their wings. Maybe they make a little noise, so you answer them just a little bit. They kind of sink to the ground, and people are, you know, I'm like, guys, just be ready. And, like, nobody do anything because they're just sailing in. You got, like you said, you got that pocket design, and it's just they when, when you're relaxed, they're relaxed, and they just come in and then just start backwinging and dropping in all your decoys, and you get up and you shoot them. Um, yeah, can you pound on singles and pairs? When it's windy out, you got 500 decoys out and you got competition next to you and you want to keep them on a string. Sure. Because that singular pair is looking for a place to go and he doesn't care. But I don't know about you, Russ, the best bunches I shoot every year, like putting 15, 20, 25, you know, a 12 pack straight in the hole, lined out, all back flapping all together. I'm usually doing that. I'm either making no noise or very, very little. Less is more. Do you guys have your calls handy? I do. Can can I can each of you give me just like a a little breakdown of a of a simple honker sequence that even the very most basic waterfowlers need to have in their arsenal? Can you can you just give me a little a little something? Say you're hunting an X uh, three hundred. Bur- well, I don't want to say that because then. You know, like you said, sometimes less is more. Maybe just give them a, a, a nice warm cluck, but maybe just a little sequence. You kind of, you kind of got the tips a little bit. Let's say you've you're on a, maybe a soft X. They've kind of been in and out, bouncing around, and you got some birds kind of cruising by. You're you're looking at their tips. Give us a little, maybe a little sequence to give them to uh, show you a little bit more interest. Uh, something that that the average, the basic guy could handle. Not not something that um is out of the realm of possibility for most guys but just a nice little handy sequence that you think everybody should be able to have in their in their tool belt can you guys can each of you guys do that for me go ahead Rusty. okay um i'm gonna do something here and it's just basically a little guttural gravelly sound some clucks and some moans but i'm really big on not knowing and not practicing sequences because 
Um, and it, this is going to sound like a sequence, but I just I just want to put it out there that I, I think the best thing you can do is learn how to read geese and their reactions to it. it, it if I'm blowing a sequence of notes, uh, a sequence of notes for me would be five to ten different little combinations to see what kind of a reaction I actually get out of a goose. If I blow a spit note at a goose and I get a positive reaction out of that goose, I will keep blowing that one particular note until I get a negative reaction from that bird, even if it means blowing a spit note right into the kill hole. If I pick up the goose call and just go, and I get the positive reaction, I'll blow that right into the kill hole. And I'll do it as little as humanly possible until the shot gets called. Because I always, I'm a firm believer that the more tricks you can keep in your bag in case they decide to make another swing, the better. The, the, the individual, the hunters that exhaust all their tricks on the first go round don't have anything to throw at them when they don't just do it, right? You don't walk into a bar, see the hottest girl in the bar, walk over and give up your entire A game right off the hop. You, you spend the whole night working up to it. And to me, goose hunting is the same, the same way. But let's, let's just say we see some geese. We're, we're in a soft X, but there's definitely some traffic mm -hmm. over the field. So the geese are flying. They're, they're coming at us uh, on a bit of an angle. I'm not going to start anything, you know, crazy speed wise. I'm just going to try and throw some different notes out there to see what kind of a reaction I get. And it'd be. And now I've blown a little bit, haven't really got much of a reaction. And now I'm starting to see more wings than I am. Hold on, Russell, can I stop you right there? A lot of sure. times what you just did with the like, just blow, I'm not going to, I got my calls here, but just blow like a moan clock. Just like one. Do another one. A lot of times right there, that's what I'll blow. They're just crossing the field on that angle. And I'll just blow a moan clock at them or two. And I'll just see what they'll do. And a lot of times, I don't think that they see the decoys right after the bat. They're cutting across that mm -hmm. field. They're three, 400 yards away. I don't know what the hell they're looking at. Um, people are like, well, they're looking here or looking there. I'm like, I've never taken one to an eye doctor. So I don't I don't know mm -hmm. if they're looking forward or sideways or what. But I'll blow that moan clock like that, like, whoop, whoop, whoop. and a lot of times they'll just turn and right at you and they'll lock their wings. And what you just said, Rusty, like, I'll just blow a few more of them and then they start clucking back and I'll blow a few more and then they get 80 yards out and it's grab the Benelli. Like, we're done. Like, party's over. Like, but that's that moan clock or a clock moan of like that's I'll just start them with that and, and see what the hell they do. You know, I don't know about you. Like that's. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely. I, I, I usually would start with something along those lines. And if I get zero reaction out of that, I'll go to a spit note. Yeah, but like 
Asher, so you mentioned at the top of that question, what's something that everybody should learn? I think that a moan cluck for hunting Canada big geese is what they need to learn because that sound that right there, that what's the best way for somebody to learn that right there? Uh, bad grammar was that by was that Scott Trinan? Trinan, the bad grammar video, or Stahl's got that one. What's that one called? That Honker Talk. Honker Talk. Those two or, DVDs. Or, there, or there's a zillion videos on YouTube. Or you can just learn that you got to learn everything to me in scale, right? Nobody picks a call up and go, go. <laughs> and you got to understand that it takes a while. It's like throwing a 90 mile an hour pitch. Maybe not everybody and their brother has it in their arm, but with proper technique, more so would have a good pitch mm -hmm. than a bad pitch. But it takes practice, right? And the big thing is control. Um, so like on a cluck, <laughs> instead of trying to go real fast in the beginning, <laughs> go real slow. Take a breath between every note. <laughs> There's three different clucks. It's just changing my air pressures a little bit and try and expand your vocabulary in that cluck. When you get to where you have good call control, because that's vital, you'll have five different air pressurized clucks. So you'll have five different clucks. Hey, Rusty, can I say something on that too? Yeah. That to me is like super important as she's like, well, what can an average person learn to perfect? I would perfect, like Rusty just said, your cluck. Mm -hmm. Can you blow it warm where it sounds calm and relaxed, like it's just a honker standing there and he goes, just rolls out a nice warm, he's not alarmed. Can you do it high-pitched, like where it's got a lot of crack? Because if you can do those two right there, now you have a double cluck because it's just warm. Then high. It like just as Rusty said, perfecting a cluck and can do where you can blow it at those different air pressures and notes, like he said, gives you a lot of versatility. And then if you can throw a moan in there, you're half, I mean, you're three quarters of the way there. I mean, that's I've got a buddy of mine who is not a fancy goose caller, and he is a fancy goose killer. Mm -hmm. That guy, if, if he's one of those guys, if they're killable, he's killing it. Um, I'm talking about Boyd, Rusty. And yeah, yeah. He can't blow the fanciest stuff in the world. He'd finish, probably wouldn't make the first cut in a novice contest. But if a goose crosses his field, there's a 99% chance it's getting killed. And that's just because he can do basic stuff perfectly on demand. You don't have to be a world champion. You don't got to be a phenomenal goose caller that can rip with insane speed to be a very, very successful goose hunter. Not on, in my opinion, not on big geese, particularly, you know, I've hunted Wisconsin, Illinois, um, all the provinces in Canada for big honkers. No, you know, now lessers, that's a different game. That's like a yodel. You hear those guys just They're screaming just at them. Noise. Yeah. 
But even Lester's, yeah, you don't need to be. Even Lester's, can you just do a quick yodel? You know. You know, I don't mean to sound ignorant towards any of the guys that make a living guiding Lester's, but that's not a very skillful ordeal on a short read goose call. Learn how to master the simple things. You know, in, in this day and age, Asher, I mean, you travel all around North America hunting. I'm pretty sure, by and large, you're probably usually hunting with three to five guys, bare minimum, every time yeah, you're, you're out small hunting, one, right? Yeah. You know, but so so if you can do a cluck, and the guy beside you can do a higher cluck, as long as you learn not to step on top mm -hmm. of each other, you know, and then if the third guy down the road can do a moan, you can make up for what a, a really good caller has full control over. And the big thing is, is just don't step out of your mm -hmm. lane. If you can't control the call, slow down. Just stick to what like, you're good at. Brett, let's yeah, let's just do real simple stuff. Brett, pick your call up and just start moaning. I'll let you get a, a moan going, and I'll get a rhythm for it, and then I'll just start throwing some random clucks in. And this is just two guys doing the most rudimentary stuff ever on a goose call. I just think people, you know, I also in Rusty, I don't know about like how it is up in Ontario. 20 years ago up here, you could really, what I would consider call geese in. You could get up on a, a bunch. You could get up on singles and pairs, flying four or 500 yards away, scream at them. They'd hook and you could stay on them and call them in. The pressure is so great around me. And I think that the, the type of pressure has elevated itself with the internet. Everybody's got a good decoy set. In, in a group of six guys, there's usually one guy that can call pretty decent. So those geese just hear and see better stuff everywhere they go. And so the days of having to be a, a world champion, you know, goose caller like Kyle Jones or Tim Grounds or Hunter Grounds, that is that to me it's out the door you can really do well perfecting perfecting basic i got two more things that i want to cover before we wrap this up i'm on the x birds are coming on a rope they get to 200 and they keep pulling on me it doesn't look like they're flaring they're just they're not interested but this is the x what's wrong is there a go-to shape or spread size that i need to be going with what What's the deal? It, it, it's me, and I'm not going to get long-winded on this. It's either your hide or it's your decoys, or it, it's three things. Sorry. It's the hide, which it probably most likely is, and a combination of where you are positioned in the field. They just don't want to be – that spot looks wonky. It looks funky. It's – you're up – you don't have anywhere to hide, so you went up against a tree line. Um, you didn't have anywhere to hide, so you took your A-frame because you saw it on the internet and stuck it in the middle of the field. But you didn't spend three hours making it look like 
you know, the guides in Canada that put brush all around it, and made it look like a brush island. Yours looks like a little, looks like a grass blind. There, there is those first birds coming on an X should, should commit suicide. Like they should come right in. And if they don't, something's wrong. And it's, it is, I, I you know, I don't want to put a percentage on it, but it's 90, 95% probably your position in the field and how you're heading. What do you think, Rusty? Yeah, it's either your hide, your hide, your hide, your hide, your hide, your hide, or your hide. That's all it is. It's it, it's your hide, and like you say, the proximity of where it is in the field. the The only other, and I mean, this is such a a, a minuscule thing, is if they got burned off a roost and they're coming nervous to beat the band. You know, if somebody snuck up on the roost pond and, and let them have it on there, you, you got you're dealing with nervous geese right off the hop. But I'm going to say 347 percent. But, of the I, time saw, it's your but I saw this guy on Instagram that he he put this his a frame right in the middle of the field, and he didn't he didn't mesh it with anything. And man, they just killed this big pile. Why can't I do that? Well, it's what kind of geese is he hunting? Like, did he do it at you know north of Regina? 40 miles where the geese are three months old and they've never been. Oh no, man, this was my cousin. He did it down the road. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my dad used to have a saying just because something happened once doesn't mean it's possible. Um, <laughs> it, we, we've all seen lots of beautiful women at night, but you wouldn't want to wake up next to them in the morning to see what they really uh, look like without all that stuff on. Just because something, yeah. Anyway, I, it's, I, and, and at that point in the hunt, it doesn't really matter what it is, but you better change your hide is where you, where you're at in the field is unless you've got layout blinds and can shift everything around pretty quick, like pull them back out of the spread or maybe change their relation to the wind. Like the geese are coming right at you and you got your layout blinds straight. You want to shoot them in the face and like, wow, they're busting me. Oh, I'm going to run some decoys down along and pull my, my, my layouts out to the side 10 yards. Like, unless you can make a significant change like that, you're probably going to watch them do that for the next hour. Um, the other thing I think people do that's a mistake is with that, while they're veering off, especially those first few bunches, like they should just be dumb. And it's probably, hunts to me generally don't get better as time goes on. They get worse. <laughs> and, and, as you burn through the bunches, the early bunches that should be dead, it's going to get tougher and tougher. So you better change what you can. Um, maybe you've got it set up to shoot them right in front of this gap you've got in a fence line. And you've got the kill hole or your kill hole, whatever, 15 yards. Maybe you need to push it out to 30 real quick and be happy with that. Like, be happy with them finishing at 30 yards. Maybe you need to move the decoys off to the side and say, hey, we're all right-handed shots. We can shoot 15 yards left. Let's put the kill hole 15 yards left of this blind. We're going to leave it since we already, it's an A-frame. We already dressed it up and we're just going to have to shoot them off center. Like you got to do something because it isn't going to improve magic. Yeah, but Instagram and, and YouTube and everything tells me if I don't shoot them backpedaling, you know, at 10 yards with their feet dragging the ground, that's not acceptable. Is it okay to go out there and not shoot them every single group on a tee? And they land right where I drew it up on, you know, in my head. Well, you better be okay with it. If you want to be consistent, it, it, 
you better be okay with it. I mean, who who's perfect every day? Oh, that was funny how you could hear a pin drop right there yeah. for a millisecond. I think one, one thing that just got touched on, right? Camera angles can change a lot of things, right? What you see on TV isn't necessarily how it really goes down. You know, when you see birds dying in the kill hole on TV, you're like, man, those guys in those eight frames, they, they, they never shoot them past right 15 in. yards. You know how many times that kill hole in an A-frame on a hedgerow or on a bad spot to hide, that kill hole is 35 to almost 40 yards? It happens a lot. And it, it's no disrespect to the individuals that have to do it. If I know I have a terrible hide, and Brett, we talked about this the other night, you and I. It's not very often when you're hunting a bunch of A-frames together that you're shooting them in a kill hole. Right. 10 to 15 yards out. It's not Most like of the time, the your decoys are, are pushed out a little bit to try and keep that opinion of a flock of geese off that hedgerow, right? Well, and you're not, I, like like Asher said, you see it on TV, you know, they're finishing right in. Well, you know, hunting, hunting an eight-man, you know, concealed comfort pit in the middle of a 300-acre cornfield that they can't see, yeah, you're going to stick a lot of geese and especially a lot of ducks right on, on top of you. But now you move to a hedgerow. It's to me, it's all evolved. Like 20 years ago, you get out in the middle with those, you know, you look at the original final approach um, videos and they were, they weren't even putting cover on those damn things. They were taking layout blinds and just putting them in the middle of fields with 60 Bigfoots and just butchering every bird that came across the field. Then you had to put cover on them. Then then you had to move them to the side. Then they then they quit working. Then A-frames came out. And then we started shooting them out of pants. You know, especially when Zinc rolled out that A-frame, what, five, six years ago? I mean, you could you could shoot the hell out of them out of those. And then now that's evolved. And now I'm seeing it like it is up here. I've got some leases we can't put pits in um, where we're shooting them out of A-frames for years, you know, two, three, and panel blinds. And this year, it's just been really tough to get them in good. And now I'm going like I'm planning to hunt Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So we got snow coming, and I think it's going to be pretty good. But we're out there. I got a buddy. We're getting like eight, nine layout blinds ready to hunt the middle of a cornfield and get them fully cameled up because it's just the wind is even perfect. I've got a hedgerow. I can put the wind right at my back at fifteen to twenty miles an hour, but I don't have confidence in shooting them mm -hmm. close out of the eight frames anymore up here. Basically, guys, the, the point that I'm trying to drive home by asking these guys these questions is see what you want, believe what you want. If you're a purist and you you know want to bird watch and think you're going to shoot them all at 15 yards all day, then be my guest. But if you're a waterfowl hunter and you're going out there to get birds within an acceptable decoying range, sometimes there's they don't do it exactly the way you draw it up. Some like kind of like Brett was saying. I'm not not necessarily a kill hole. There might be multiple kill zones that I no. want them to go or expect them to go, and maybe only the three guys on the left side of the blind are going to get to shoot. That's okay if they don't all come in tits up, all twenty of them. It's okay. Like it's not you. You're not a poor waterfowl hunter. Sometimes adjustments need to be made. If you need to side shoot them, you know a lot of guys they get upset. Well, I don't want to side shoot them. I only want to shoot them if they're coming you know, straight face on and I can make them do a backflip. Well, that's just not the reality of it. Some places in some situations, yes, it still is. But for most of us, as you travel down the flyway and you get more and more pressured birds, the fact is if you want to go out and truly waterfowl hunt, there's adjustments that need to be 
made, and they're not always going to do it exactly the way you draw it up in your head, but the best waterfowl hunters, guys like these guys, are guys that can still kill birds even whenever other people aren't killing birds. And it's because they know sometimes you have to do things differently or settle a little differently than having them dance on your gun barrel at 10 yards all morning because that's just not the reality. And we love it when those days come together and we've all experienced those days. But the fact is everything that you see on social media, Facebook, Instagram, that's not always the reality. It certainly is sometimes, but the best guys know how to kill birds when other people aren't. Anybody on a red hot field, you know, birds are coming to it. They've been coming to it. Anybody can go set out a blind and some decoys and kill birds, but can you kill birds and make the adjustments when other guys aren't, that kind of goes back to that, you know, the, 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 the saying right now is that guy's a killer. Well, okay. If we want to start talking about killers, the guys that can still find a way to put waterfowl on the ground when everybody else is struggling, that's the difference between a killer and somebody that's still learning how to be a killer. I'm not really crazy about that term, but that's the one that everybody's using right now. So we'll, we'll use it. Well, you know, after two is like when you watch people, you watch an episode of let's say the foul life, right? And that's an 18 minute show with 12 minutes of commercials for 30 minutes. And he's hunting up in Alberta with like that, let's yeah, that, that place he always goes like, you know, take them outfitters or something like that. He's probably hunting up there four or five days to put together an 18 minute show. So they're up there and, and out in the middle of Alberta in September shooting early season ducks in pea fields and barley fields, just wrecking birds over spinners and deep and goose spreads at 10 yards. And they probably shoot 50 bunches, but the six bunches you see on that show are edited. He hunted for four days to come up with those six bunches of keys. And I think people forget that, you know, they see these shows or they see guys post a clip, you know, like Vandemore puts a picture up, you know, on his Instagram story of them just wrecking birds, you know, over on that love lake spot that he hunts every day. And like, well, you got to remember, he had nine groups out that day and all those guides and maybe a couple of camera sure. guys to put four bunches up on his Instagram. Like, <laughs> what? If, you know, it, it, it becomes a false right. reality. And this isn't a disrespect to anybody. This is just the fact that guys that a regular guy that's going out and only getting to hunt 10 or 15 times, it doesn't make you a, a loser, or a worthless waterfowler. If you struggled a couple days, you know, it's not like you're not measuring up because you don't see all the days these other guys don't struggle on the days that they grind. Real quick, I know we're getting crunched right now. I got one more thing I want to ask you guys. I think it's really important. But what can I do if birds are flying over and I can't get them to com- commit? And it's not like they're flaring. It's just like they don't seem to be where I'm set up. I really, you know, I don't think it's my hide. It's just like they're not interested. Is this one of those days where you just chalk it up and say, this is uh not where they want to be today is there something i can do differently with my decoys uh should i shift them should i call more should i flag more what can i do if they're just i'm getting traffic and there's a lot of birds but they just they're just not having it go ahead rusty it's such a loaded question but I'll, i'll i'll try and touch on it Pull every trick out of your bag one at a time and don't stop until you find the one that works. And yeah, is there an opportunity that you may come out of there empty handed? Absolutely. But you might also learn something. 
Uh, the, the first thing I would do if I'm hunting in a field that's got lots of traffic, regardless of whether it's migrating traffic, just random traffic or traffic that are going into a baited refuge, is spread my decoys out huge. If I'm in 100 acres, I'm going to have decoys on 100 acres. Even if I only am running 10 or 15 or 20 dozen, I'm going to have decoys everywhere so that when the geese approach the field, it's a party everywhere. It's right back to the bar scene. As soon as you walk through the door, it's a party. And I'm going to try and get them interested in the field before I even ever have to blow a note. That's that's my sole take on it. If I'm hunting a big group, 9, 12, 15 guys, we're going to split up. And we're going to try and draw the birds into one spot in the field. And I'm going to make sure that we have perimeter guys set up so that if they do come into the hole, and I mean, Brett's hunted down at grounds is enough back in the heyday. The, the way they used to run the, their club there, they'd bring the geese into the one kill hole and they'd, they'd kill them good there. But then there was guys strategically placed around it that were going to get really good wing shooting on the way out too. Now, is it 15 yards back pedaling across the decoys? No, one group it is. The rest of the groups are going to shoot 30-yard birds getting the heck out of Dodge. So, Russ, but, you, just, you took my answer, and that would be – you said it. I'm not. Don't have to go into it any further. And my number one thing that if they're not doing anything, Asher, is spread. Take. We used to call it going coast to coast. Mm -hmm. Just like Rusty said, if you've got 15, 20 dozen, I am making 20 different. What is that? Uh, 20 dozen is uh, three. You know, 250 decoys or so. I am making 25 bunches of 10 all over the field. I'm like, I just want to see if I can get one to work. Then I'll worry about putting him or her in front of me. Let's just see if we Bingo. can get, get that's it. huge. So, so that's my number one fix too. If I was going to try anything is take your stuff and run it coast to coast in that field and open it up where exactly like Rusty said, just looks like geese everywhere. That's my usual first move I'll make if they're doing nothing. Well, guys, we're, um, we're almost there an hour and 40 deep. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this one. I, um, I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your schedules to hop on here with me. And man, I really hope to get to eventually hunt with you guys in the future. Um, Rusty, if these borders ever open, man, I'm, I'm coming up there. I'm coming to get a minor with you, man. And and I, I would like to hunt with you sometime as well, Brad. I told you that the invites there, if you can find your way down here in January, um, if you want to come shoot some in the woods with us, um you've got an open invite you just you just holler at me anytime but this was fun man um you guys you know that was fun to just kind of sit back and listen to you guys because that was just chock full of information if somebody listens to this thing and they and they're not a better waterfowl hunter instantly i'm sorry but i don't know that there's anywhere that you can go in an hour and 40 minutes and get that kind of information because that was that was absolutely awesome so um real quick do, do either of you guys have anything that that you want to add before we hop off here i i would just add uh to to go back to the you know i i i saw it on instagram my cousin killed the limit blah 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 if if you want a really good take on how duck and goose hunting is every day and you want to see it on video follow bobby guy because he's not scared to put up a hunt that goes south he's not scared to put up a barn burner type hunt and i think the reason that he has garnered the popularity that he has 
It's, it's real, it's man. Real. And, and and the youth the youth of this uh, of this sport can sit back. Not everybody's got the the Vandemore type places to hunt. Not everybody has the 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 pocketbook that it takes to you know make a, a a duck hunting mecca like that. But you know what? Everybody has the ability to have some semblance of a decoy spread, regardless of what brand make or how many you have. And if you link up with a few guys, I mean, if you go back to Bobby's original roots. You know, and even to now, like he hasn't changed. He's that same individual that's out there having fun, making memories, and sometimes they get them and sometimes they don't, but he's continually learning. And, you know, I, I think he's got the following he so justifiably deserves because he says it like it. Bobby is. gets a lot of hate, but I tell you what, he has created a living doing what he loves. He's got an audience that loves him. We love him. Bobby, in I love hanging out with Bobby. Bobby is an awesome guy. I would go to bat for him every single day of the week. He's relatable. He's not fake. We went up to North Dakota in August and absolutely got our asses beat. And I said, Bobby, how are you going to make a video out of this? You know, I'm thinking of this from a dive bomb standpoint. I'm like, golly, we don't have anything. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm going to show it exactly the way it happened. I'm going to show us getting our ass kicked. Our birds didn't show up. I'll show everything. And I'll look up. He posts the video. I say, holy shit. He just made a 20-minute video. We killed one bird, and this thing has been viewed 200,000 times in the comment section. is blowing up with people saying, man, this is really refreshing. Somebody actually showing how it is and the way things went down. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And uh, i tell you what, Bobby, he's as, good as, he's as good as they get, man. He is a good, good man. He's a great father to his family, and uh, he's just doing what he loves. He receives a lot of unnecessary hate, but I'll tell you what, uh, he's got my full support and Dive Bomb's full support, and uh, he's a great human being. So, Brett, you got anything, man? Uh, I think I'm good. I don't want to – just don't be afraid to try new stuff. If what you're doing is not working, it probably isn't going to magically work the next day. <laughs> so, you know – don't, don't be afraid to change where you're set up. Don't be afraid to change your decoy, you know, positions, your decoy spacing, calling differently. Um, that's a big thing. I think people get stuck in ruts. You know, there's an old saying out there, you know, well, my, my birds are stale. Well, I always at, you know, are your birds stale or are your tactics stale? Are you trying new stuff? Like, have you tried spreading out 30 dozen silhouettes? Have you tried putting your A-frame in the middle? If you've been hunting at the middle, it doesn't work. If you tried moving it to the edge, just don't be afraid to try new stuff because you never know, you know, what's going to work. And particularly if you're struggling or things aren't working, just to keep doing the same thing is it's not going to magically, you know, work. Sanity, right? So, the, the doing the same thing right. over and over, expecting a different result. I'll talk to you guys right. soon, man. I greatly appreciate y'all taking exactly. the time and uh, y'all enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You guys. too, bud. See you. Thanks, Rusty. Take care. Wow. That was absolutely awesome the amount of waterfowl related information from those two guys is is very very impressive that was a lot of fun dive bomb industries forum and fan page on facebook make sure you guys are plugged in there if you aren't already i say it every week but you can get answers to questions like all of these that we went over today and so much more from individuals that are just insanely experienced waterfowl hunters we're in the home stretch of the season now. We got some great days ahead. We're really, really excited about moving through December and January and um, 
hope you all are having a great waterfowl season thus far, staying safe out there. We'll talk to you all soon. Until next time, y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast. Thank you.